Hello, beautiful people. This is Raina Leon, one of your co-hosts for Generational Archives, the show where we heal, connect, uncover through intergenerational conversations and archival research. Again, I'm Dr. Raina J. Leon, and I'm one half of the duo, the hosts for Generational Archives with Dr. Norma D. Thomas. She's not with me today. We are scattered across the world, actually. We are generally based in Philadelphia, but this time I am greeting you far away from Via Reggio in Italy um, by the Ligurian Sea. And my mother is also traveling, traveling, traveling to Vegas. So we are far flung, but I'm introducing the interview that she did with my uncle Jim Pete, who is quite a character. You don't, don't get a, enough of a sense of his humor in this clip, but you do get a sense of his optimism and resilience and some of the discoveries. I want to highlight that one of the things that we are discovering in this process is that sometimes we prepare, we prepare so much for our podcast and then even in the midst of recording we discover incredible things so in this one you'll hear some information about my great great grandfather walter that even in the interview my mom was not aware of but i hope that you enjoy this uh interview with my uncle pete my great uncle jim pete and that it inspires you in your own interviews of the elders within your families, and that it might open up your understanding of the places that they've gone and the resilience that they had and the peoples of the communities in which they were formed. And so in one respect, you were formed, even if you didn't grow up there. And I also hope that in this meeting across the waters and seas and lands, you are met well, and you perhaps start to dream of where you will travel and what that will gift to the generations to come of your legacy. So thanks for joining us in this episode of Generational Archives, and we're getting close to our season's end. If you wanna support us, continue to encourage others to subscribe because I know if you're a listener right now, you have already subscribed. So encourage your people to continue on this journey with us and with you. And you can support us on the Patreon with Generational Archives. That is the ID to find us. We're also on, um, you can find me on Instagram on Reina Leon, as well as Twitter and a number of different places. And you can also find us through StoryJoy Inc. on Instagram, as well as Twitter. So we hope to connect with you around your stories and questions and perhaps inspire you along the way. Keep dreaming, y'all. Keep connecting with your people. And may that bring you healing and joy. So I am here interviewing Mr. James Thomas, who happens to be my uncle. And I'm going to ask a series of questions about family and growing up in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. So the first question I want to ask is, I know you lived at 154 Barndale Street. Is that the only place you lived in Uniontown? No, uh, 
that's the only place I lived up until I went to the Navy. And then after I got out the Navy and got married, I lived in six other places mm. before I got here at this home here. So the second question I have is, so growing up over Varndale Street, which we talked about before, was Varndale Street Extension. And Beeson Street before that. Oh, that I don't remember. Yes, it was uh, Beeson Street. And in the mid-50s, they turned it into Varndale Street. Okay. One one day I'll find out who Varndale is. There must be a story behind whoever Varndale is. We all know who Beeson was. Right. But uh, I don't know who Varndale was either. So, you're the youngest of five. Yes. And there's a huge age difference between <laughs> you and my dad, like 17 years. Yes. So, what was that like? Being the baby and having these older siblings. Okay, the uh, I had older siblings which had children older than me, and their children was more like my brothers and sisters. Uh, I had uh, two boys and one girl, Neil, Johnny, and April, and they was uh, three, four, and five years older than me, and. Uh, it was like growing up with uh, brothers and sisters because we were together a lot. Now, Granny and Picky, as we called them, <laughs> and you called them Mama and Daddy, for us, they were grandparents. And so we had our view of who they were, you know, in yes. terms of grandparents. So what was it, what were they like as parents? They was the most delightful people in the world, and I, being the only one at home, well, to be honest, I was spoiled. I had just about anything and everything that poor people could give their kids, and everybody in the neighborhood was poor, including our neighbor, the chief of police of Uniontown, Jim Mahoney. But we really didn't know how poor we were because we all had plenty of food, clean clothes, and uh, good friendship. So this being poor, nobody knew it. And, and that's a perspective I never thought of because I never saw in my head the Mahoney's as being poor like the rest of us. Um, uh, and we had the same, I think, view that we didn't realize we were poor until we were compared to somebody else who had more. Um, in fact, Lily and Carla Ray always say, Norma, were we poor? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Poor but happy. Yeah, poor but happy. We didn't, uh, we really didn't lack nothing. Uh, anything, well, we didn't have anything and everything, but we were fortunate enough to have enough. So, I had a question. You would know probably more about um, Picky's dad, who Walter. I have no recollection 
on at all, even though I wasn't, I think when he died, I might have been eight, maybe nine, but I don't remember him at all. So can you tell me a little bit about him? Walter Grandpa Thomas uh, was a very delightful man. He, he was really a lot of fun. He was crippled uh, at an early age from a coal mining accident. And he was on a cane, I'd say, from his 40s or early 50s until his death when he was 80-some years old. But he always had a really happy... Uh, uh, presence about himself. He was always uh, a lot of fun and uh, always pleasant until uh, he, him and one of his sons would get into it. One of his sons moved in with him. Was that Uncle Clarence? That was Uncle Clarence. Mm -hmm. And they got along like water and oil. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was horrible. But I would go visit both of them, and it would be like a boxing ring. One would go to one corner, and the other would go to another corner, and I'd go from corner to corner and have fun with both of them. And then when I left, I, I guess the, it started all over again. Well, I can remember going to the house when Uncle Clarence was there. Mm -hmm. I just don't remember his father at all because Uncle Clarence was blind. But so that part I remember, but I just don't remember. You Walter even lived at all. in that house for a while. I know. Uh, and uh, right before him. And you lived. Grandpa was gone when you lived there. I don't know. Well, I have there because I have, that's the only place he lived. So I think he died by the time you guys moved in. Well, there. I have baby pictures of being in that house. Oh no, so, no he so wasn't. He wouldn't have been. No, he wouldn't he have died. Still, we probably. Oh, were there. I think if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure it is. He moved to Flushing, Long Island, oh. with his daughter Susie. Mm -hmm. He was up there living for uh, quite a while. And uh, for some reason, he was able to move back here, or Aunt Susie moved him back here, and she would come back here every summer to visit. So that's how I got to really know Aunt Susie really well. That's exactly what happened. So did he have siblings that you knew anything about? I didn't know anybody else. Just uh, him and uh, well, his wife, Grandma. But no, I, I don't know nothing about any uh, brothers or sisters. Mm -hmm. No. So tell me a little bit about Uniontown growing up. It had to be one of the most fun spots to grow up in because for kids, you had playground that you could go to in the morning session, afternoon session, and in the evening session. And uh, Mondays at the East End Playground, Monday evenings, they would have movies. And the movies would be a serial. And you'd have to go back every Monday to catch what happens the next uh, adventure. And they had a guy named Muggsy would come to all the uh, playgrounds. Each playground, Monday through Friday, would take turns on having this same cereal. And the guy named Muggsy would come sell a nickel bag of popcorn, which was a cone, 
a 10 cent bag of popcorn, which was a brown paper lunch bag, and snowballs or ice balls. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd all meet down there in the uh, for the uh, movies. And then everybody had some kind of a raggedy bicycle, all the boys, and we would ride all over Fed County on them. We would go and take off and be riding everywhere. And growing up was just a lot of fun. Now, some of the men in town that are older than you talk about Uniontown being very segregated and, and the movies, you couldn't go to the movies that, you know, um, you had to be in what they called the peanut gallery. Up in the balcony. So was that the same when you were coming when, along or was that done? It was done. When I came along, it was going out. And when we went to the movies, you could sit anywhere and everywhere. And uh, in fact, we would... <laughs> We'd pay for one guy to go in. He'd go to the back, open the door, and five or six of us would go in. And like I said, you could sit anywhere then. One place that you couldn't sit, you could get a hamburger, but it was to go. And that was Murphy's 5 and 10 mm -hmm. cent store. Now, across the street was a place called Kresge's. It was another 5 and 10 cent store. You could sit down and uh, they had no problem serving you. But Murphy's, they they would uh, fix your hamburger or hot dog, whatever you wanted, but you wasn't going to sit down there. You had to keep moving. They would make money off the blacks. They'd sell you anything you want, from uh, threads to peanuts to popcorn to anything you wanted, but you had to leave. You couldn't eat there. So are there other examples of that, like that in Uniontown? Uh, I mean, I can remember, for example, the skating rink that we only went to on certain days of the week. And and were there other places like that or things that it was kind of unwritten that we could and could not do? In all honesty, coming up, uh, we went everywhere, my age group, and the guys I hung out with, we was able to go and do basically whatever and wherever we wanted to go with very little problem. We knew there was people out there maybe didn't appreciate it, but we never had that much problem with it, especially with the blacks being so good in sports. And... Uh, the uh, white people had uh, more or less came over to our side just because of that. So, speaking of sports, you were an athlete. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I played uh, football and basketball for North Union uh, High School. In fact, uh, proud to say my picture is at Laurel Highlands High School right now in the uh, football and basketball pictures over there. So tell me about the incident where you hit the coach, which almost ended your, your <laughs> athletic career. The, the best man in the world, as far as a teacher, 
was a guy named Harold Horse Taylor. I had him for history. And I also had him for my basketball coach. And we had this here uh, Christmas vacation practices that uh, was mandatory for the basketball players to go to. And uh, the winner of my sophomore year, I went to Philadelphia for Christmas. And he excused me. So I used the same story, but I didn't go to Philadelphia the next year. And he says, did you go to Philadelphia for Christmas again this year? I said, yes, I did. He said, Jim Pete, I seen you standing in front of the state pool hall. Just uh, right before that. And I know you didn't go to uh, Philadelphia. He said, get out of my gym. I said, well, there's people here that don't even go to this uh, school and they're allowed to watch you practice. He said, I'm the boss of the gym. And I said, get out. He grabbed me by my arm and started pushing. And I turned around and his face hit my fist. <laughs> he, his wife called my mother up and was very upset because uh, New Year's was two days later and his wife called my mother and was very upset because he wasn't able to eat his thank, uh, New Year's dinner because of the stitches in his lip. Mm-hmm. But I finally got back in school after being out for four to six weeks. He was inspirational in helping me catch up on all my grades. And I uh, passed my junior year into my senior year and was back on the basketball team my senior year. And it was all because of Horse Taylor. And I have uh, great respect for you. So that had... Uh, a happy ending. <laughs> yes, it, it started out like I was going to end up, I don't know, being a derelict or whatever, but because of him, he helped me get through uh, school, and uh, I ended up graduating when I was 17 years old. Wow. Then I started my Navy so you decided to go to the Navy versus on to college or or anything like that. What made you decide to go into the Navy? Well, in all honesty, I really didn't like school. And I did good in school as far as the grades and everything. Had a lot of fun in school. But I figured my education, I had enough. and. Uh, the service was an opportunity if I wanted to go to school, the service could pay for it. If I, uh, all I had to do was three years. So I said I was done with school. I went to the Navy and after boot camp, that's all I did was go to school. I had to go to radio school and uh, a couple other schools and uh, 
I got a good education in the Navy, and when I got out, uh, it helped me in my civilian life. So when you got out of the service, you went to work for Pepsi? Was that right away? No. My first job was recapping earth mover tires. And the tires was uh, so big, you could climb inside of them to do sectional work on them. And that lasted just a few months. And then I got a, a good job with the Uniontown School District as a custodian. But I, it was a good job, but little pay. So I ended up bartending and washing walls along with that job. And then uh, my neighbor, a guy named Ty Floyd, said, you want to get a job at Pepsi? I said, well, yeah. And I went and I was uh, to come and interview me. And uh, they said, we'll call you. And Pi Floyd came to me and says, uh, you know, there was four people that they interviewed after you that they hired and still didn't hire you. So we called Pittsburgh Human Relations. They came up. I had to sign a paper and get it notarized by Naomi Berg. And that was a Monday. Thursday, they called me up for an interview. And I gave my boss one uh, two-week notice. And I started for Pepsi November 69 hmm. until 07, 17. So it took, no, 07. So it took somebody going through you, you reporting remember? to human relations? Yes. And they, they yep. They, uh, they went down. I guess they had a talk with them or whatever they human relations does. Yeah. But just a few days later, they called me up, asked me when I could start for Pepsi. And my first month down there, I was just about ready to quit because it was not a warm welcome. Mm. But after a month down there, it started getting better and better and better. And each year it gets to the place I uh, really enjoy the job. So you are, are a person that I always think about as having this, um, what do I want to say? Great personality, jovial, um, uh, I know you get mad because you described the story with, with Coach <laughs> Coach Taylor, but never getting mad from my perspective, always having, you know, the bright outlook on everything. How do you, because you face some adversity in, in your life. I mean, that might be one of the most difficult questions you've asked during this interview. How do I stay positive? Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, pessimistic world, but uh, I one of the main sources of my optimism is my wife. She keeps me uh, focused, and 
another thing. Like I said, that was one of the hardest questions you asked me. <laughs> I have no idea to tell you the truth. How I do it? I guess I'm just an optimist. And what else can I say? The the glass is half full. Yeah, do you think that's from upbringing or? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's ninety percent Alberta and ten percent picky. <laughs> Alberta, she was a very, very, very optimistic person. Picky wasn't quite that optimistic. Mm -hmm. He was the hell with it type of guy from day one. But Alberta, she was always, uh, she had about 100 grandkids, and uh, each one was special. And she took care of each one like there was only one. And that's the type of person she was, and that's what she instilled in me. Especially your son. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely special. <laughs> and there's a trophy upstairs to show how special he was. And he won a baby contest, and he was two years old. And uh, it was uh, an Elks. Yeah, it was it for the Elks, and Mama, it was a baby contest, and Mama took Jimmy, and uh, quite naturally, her being the head daughter ruler and the grand pooba of the Elks, she was pulled all the votes in the world, and it was almost like, well, we got to let Verda's grandson mm. win, and she he come home with that trophy. I don't know if you remember, she got me involved in one of those Elks Beauty contests. Oh. Yeah, she got me involved. I was a senior in high school. One of the very few times in my whole career that I missed any school, senior year, awards day. I walked in late for that because we were in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And Elks Parade, all this yeah. stuff that Granny got me involved in. I didn't know that. Yeah, I have. I still have my trophy <laughs> from being in that event. <laughs> so yeah, she. I guess she pulled her grandkids into this, this stuff with the Elks. I didn't. I never thought about that before. <laughs> so you know, um, in the scheme of things, you're still pretty young since I'm 68, and and you'll be what 74 this year. Yes. So that's young now. Yeah. It used to be old, but now it seems young. So what would, what advice would you give for people who are younger in terms of, you know, just generally life advice? Well, the best advice I could give to any young person is uh, see the good side of anybody. Now, all of us here have that their rough side, everybody. Look past it and try to look at the uh, the bright side on people and understanding. You got to have understanding. You got to, somebody's having a bad day. Uh, we all have bad days. You got to look past it and let everybody get over it. And that's about it for me. Uh, just have understanding with everybody and... Uh, Kind of give everybody a pat on the back. 
Well, thank you, Uncle Pete, for allowing me to do this interview. And, um, you know, again, thank you so much. It, it, okay, I really no. enjoyed it. Okay, but do I get paid for this? Is check in the mail? or There is no check in the mail, Uncle Pete. No. I'm trying to stop this thing. <laughs>